Hey everyone, this is ETS on the Grid. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing well, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Aaron. Excited to be back with you, and we have we have Aaron Otan with us here today. How's it going, Aaron? Hey, Dylan. It's going well. I'm glad to be back on the pod. So it's been a few weeks since you did the first part of your road trip uh, across Texas in an electric vehicle. You just completed your second leg of the of the journey. Where did you go this time? We went to more East Texas cities. So we started, we picked up the car in Round Rock, which is North Austin area. And then we exited the city northeast and went over to Taylor, Texas. Then we stayed in College Station the first night. The next day we went over to Huntsville and visited two small towns in the Sam Houston National Forest area called Dodge and Cut and Shoot. And we can explain why we went there a little bit later. And then after that brief exploration, we went to Houston, stayed in Houston uh, a night, interviewed some folks there the next day, and then stayed in Navasota uh, the next night. And then we stopped uh, in Gonzales on our way back to Austin from Navasota. So those were all the stops that we made in, in this trip. So uh, the last time we did one of these podcasts about your road trip, uh, we got some questions in from people who wanted to know more about the car. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you use the same car in both legs of the journey. So can you go into some details about the car specifically that you were using? Yeah, we use the same car, um, a Tesla Model 3. I think it's a 2018. And it's the long-range version. So there's a the mid-range version that gets, I think, around 200 or so miles. Yeah, maybe like 240. And then... The long range one, uh, full, you know, full range is supposed to get 310. It kind of depends, you know, how hot it is outside, how much AC you're using, how heavy your stuff is in the car. But uh, I think you can typically typically get between 280 to 300 miles in in that long range uh, Model 3. So that's the one that we had. So did it have any of the like luxury features? What were some of the some of the features of the car that you enjoyed playing around with? Uh, yeah, so it does have the autopilot, um, not the full autonomous vehicle mode, but autopilot. It's basically like an enhanced cruise control, and I think that's definitely one of our favorite features. Uh, the first time we actually have a video of the first time we used it, that's pretty funny because we were both sort of freaking out um, <laughs> about how the car, you can feel it just take over. But once you get used to it, it actually feels a lot safer. Um, you know, the, the car really keeps you in the middle of the lane. It, it slows you down um, probably before you would start to slow down if there's a car, uh, you know, you're approaching a car in front of you. So that was a, that's a really nice feature that the car has. Yeah, so that's an add-on. That's not, you know, standard with the car. Um, you can get autopilot, and then you can get, like Aaron mentioned, full autonomous vehicle mode, which we did not have. Um, but the other feature that I think we really enjoyed in the car that we used this trip that we didn't actually end up using in part one um, 
were the Atari games. So there's, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's referred to as the toy box mm-hmm. on um, the menu screen. And we used, uh, we played the games while we were charging one day, and that's pretty fun. But I'm pretty sure that comes with every Tesla. Like, that's not an additional feature that Tim has on his car. But we really enjoyed that experience, I suppose. Can you clarify who Tim is real quick? Tim is the gentleman we rented the car from. Uh, so we got the car through an app called Turo w- that allows people to put their personal vehicles on this platform for short- short-term rentals. So Tim and his wife are Tesla owners. They have a Model X and uh, the Model 3 that we were driving, and his wife drives the Model 3 regularly, but when she's not using that car, they rent it out via the Turo app. So that was actually the car that we took on both road trips. We took the same exact car. So last time around, you mentioned that you'd planned everything out, but you occasionally still experienced instances of range anxiety uh, or just things kind of not going to plan every now and again. Uh, Did you feel more prepared this time around after your adventures in West Texas a couple weeks back? Yeah, I think we felt more prepared, but also uh, the the East Texas towns, even though we did go through, you know, some very small towns, they're not as near spread out as West Texas is. Um, so the actual distances we were driving were much shorter. Um, we really only had to stop once per day to charge. Uh, so it was definitely a different experience um, charging-wise going those shorter distances. Yeah, and I believe part one of the road trip, I calculated it, and we covered about about 1,500 miles, a little bit more, but still less than 2,000 in five days, which is a significant amount of ground to cover. But in part two, we really only drove about 600 miles in four days, so we didn't have to go as far, so we didn't need to charge as much, so in return, we didn't have to plan as much around the charging. In part two, we only charged during the day. We didn't have to charge overnight, so we didn't have to find hotels that also had charging infrastructure for us to charge overnight. And it really just made the whole experience a lot easier from a planning perspective. Um, But I also think it just really highlighted that EVs are a very viable option for central Texans that are predominantly in cities and can go between major cities on a full charge and only need to stop for 20 minutes to to go, you know, from say Dallas to Houston and then back. So I think from that perspective too, it was very eye-opening. A lot of people just associate Texas with being very big and you have to drive a lot of places, which is true. But um, the infrastructure, at least from the Tesla perspective, is deployed enough to make it pretty easy to do. Yeah, I, w- I would say the same thing in that this, this leg of the trip that we did was probably more, uh, a better example of what the common Texan would experience and how they would experience um, you know, driving around in an EV. Like Aaron said, it's pretty easy to get from one city to the next and back in a day with only a 15 to 20 minute uh, charging stop. We stopped at some small uh, electric cooperatives in rural towns in between cities, which we did in part one. Uh, But in part two, 
we realized that a lot of folks actually um, commute from, you know, bigger, bigger cities, the Austin area, the Houston area, to some of these small co-ops. And what they can do is they can drive their EV there during the day, you know, charge at the charging station, on location, at the co-op uh, offices, and then drive on their commute back and still have, you know, a full charge by the time you get home or half a charge by the time you get home because you got to charge your EV all day. So really it's making it a viable option for commuters that are going from, you know, highly dense urban areas out to the co-ops where they're working during the day, where there may, be, where there may not be as much infrastructure along the way, but um, you have enough range on your vehicle to go from the city to rural Texas and then back. And if you're charging at work, you're not getting charged to charge so that's you know even extra money that you're saving uh, by not charging at home and by not spending money on on gas commuting uh, 50 miles each way a lot of that it was corroborated uh, for me recently I, I took a lift drive with with a Tesla model 3 owner uh, just yesterday which I would never if I had paid all that money for that car but uh, God bless the man he was happy to answer all my questions, and it mirrors a lot of what you're talking about. Yeah, he, it's really easy as a commuter car uh, for him and his for him and his wife because they can charge. Yeah, you know, they can charge at home. They can charge at work. Vista helped them set up their installation. Like they sent an electrician out to install their charger in their house, and he said that they've taken it to as far as Wyoming and they go down to Portland all the time and they don't have any issues because there's enough superchargers along the way for them to, for them to do that. So I think, uh, I think it's not just Texas. This is, uh, fastly becoming, or I shouldn't say fastly becoming, it already is a viable just commuter car for people all over the country. Well, the model three particularly or Tesla's particularly because Texas, because Tesla has done such a good job of deploying charging infrastructure along major highways, and it makes it much easier to charge your car, especially if you're trying to take a road trip in a Tesla. Most of the people that we talked to, at least in part one, when we were stopped charging, that were also charging, had taken some type of road trip in their Tesla, whether it was across the state. We talked to somebody who I think was starting in California. They were in Texas. They were going all the way to Florida in their Model 3. So yeah, as of now, I think it is you know pretty, pretty easy to do. That is, if you're willing to make your route based off where the superchargers are. Um, but they typically have been in very accessible places. Yeah, that's why he said he went with the Teslas because he said, you know, I didn't go into this wanting a Tesla specifically. I just knew I wanted an electric car. And after doing my research, I discovered that this was going to be the easiest one for us to be able to go visit family with because since they own the infrastructure, they've been able to, you know, place it in key areas across the country. We did stop at a Walmart, which we did not do on our last trip. Um, and we actually just pulled up to the Electrify America charging stations just to sort of check it out. Um, and I think I couldn't tell if they were all fast chargers or I think maybe a portion of them were fast chargers, but I think that that's a pretty good strategic 
move from by Electrify America. Um, you know, a lot of these small rural towns do at least have a Walmart. So for people passing through, they can charge there. Um, and it just sort of opens up more options to the non-Tesla EVs. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how that plays out. I do think the charging is more expensive there, though, than it is on a te- for a Tesla. Uh, so it'll just be interesting to see sort of the different strategies that that the different charging companies um, take from here on out. The other really interesting thing about putting charging stations in a Walmart is, and maybe this is a hot take, but that demographic may not be the demographic that's typically exposed to electric vehicles. When we had the Tesla parked in the charging station, you know, there were a bunch of people looking at us. We actually had one woman come up to us and talk about what I believe she was saying she had a plug-in hybrid vehicle, um, and she was considering going EV, but she actually thought uh, that, or what she articulated to us was that the charging was too complicated for her to go fully electric, and I think that is really just an instance of lack of consumer education around how easy EVs are to use, but by Electrify America putting their charging stations or partnering with Walmart to put those charging stations in, they actually get a lot lot more exposure to, I think, folks who typically wouldn't have exposure to EVs. One, oh, I actually did have a question about the car specifically because I didn't get, I, I ran out of time on my Lyft ride before I could ask this one because I noticed that the doors were all electronic. So what happens in the event of like, with no physical lever on the inside if like say something happens to the car or the battery um so we actually had one incident in marfa that we still need to ask tim about we haven't talked to tim about this incident but we have actually we haven't talked about this incident really at all no i don't think i don't think we've told anyone about it now that you bring it up we probably should have talked about it a little bit more podcast Uh, exclusive yeah so we spent, you know, just a morning in Marfa just to walk around the town a little bit. Um, so we parked, walked around. It was probably 103 degrees that day. It was really hot. Jeez. And we were probably walking around for about an hour, maybe. Um, but when we got back to the car, which was, you know, parked in the sun, we tried... We tried to open, did it unlock? We tried to open the car. I'm pushing, pressing the key on the door, you know, where it, to make it unlock. And it's just doing absolutely nothing. And <laughs> yeah, I was freaked out. I thought that somehow we had done something wrong and like left the car going and it, the charge had completely run down and that we were going to have to have the car towed to you know, a couple blocks to the nearest charging station, but it was pretty scary. And then I don't even know what happened, but it eventually just opened. Yeah, we, we still don't know what exactly happened. I mean, we were positive there was enough charge left in the car. We were sure that it wasn't, the battery wasn't completely dead. I mean, we weren't close to a full charge at all. We are probably around like 30 or maybe even 40% of a charge. But for about, yeah, like 10 minutes, we just kind of sat there like, uh, what do we do? <laughs> and we couldn't get into the car. The screen was completely black, whereas normally it'll be in sensory mode and you, the screen will have like this red 
light on it, but the screen was black and it just wasn't responding to our key at all. But then just, it just started working. Yeah. So that was really the only other, I guess, big scare aside from our range anxiety. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just kind of funny. I think it, we had a podcast guest on one of our second or third podcasts, Jared Huke. And this is going to be a stretch for our listeners, but he kind of talked about the smart home. But it gets to the point where you kind of ask, like, well, how smart is smart when you can't unlock your car because, you know, there's, a like, a system malfunction? Like, how mm-hmm. smart is that car, actually? Um, so that was really our only experience where we were just, like, whoa, what do we have to do? You know, we're locked <laughs> out of our car, and there's no manual key to mm-hmm. turn, like, to turn a lock to get the car door open. You can't do that on a tesla so yeah so we don't really have an answer for you but that's our our experience one experience we had hopefully if the battery ever catches fire there is a way for you to not be forced to sit and burn inside the car well inside the car so the drivers and passenger seats which we just discovered this time it does have a lever that you can actually pull up Oh, okay. We didn't. We, I mean, we Good. were in that car for five days and however many hours a day, and we never noticed it last time. Um, I think Aaron Hardick noticed it this time and pointed it out. Yeah, I just like it was one of those things where I was like, I haven't pressed this button yet. What does this do? And I figured out that's how you, yeah, kind of manually open the door. And then the door just opens while you're going down the highway. Um, Luckily, we were parked. <laughs> Maybe when you buy a new Tesla, they should have one of those safety videos like they have on kind of they have on like Delta, where it'll just pop up and be like, here are the safety features in this vehicle, so you know what to They've do. They've got in the, case the of screen emergency. to do it. They've got exactly. Yeah, I think that uh, education piece is is interesting because it's something that seems to be happening mostly from EV owners themselves. They're very excited to talk about them, and people want to come up and ask them come up and ask them questions. Uh, Aaron. Uh, Aaron Hardick, you just recently published uh, an article about the EV road trip, and you mentioned that you were talking to some of these uh, co-op, uh, the, some of these cooperatives. What uh, what did you learn about the, the way that they're educating about EVs? Well, I'll tell you one story that we heard um, from Mid South Synergy, and that's the small electric cooperative that serves uh, Navasota in some of the surrounding area. The CEO at Mid-South, his name is uh, Kerry Kelton, and he actually committed to driving a Chevy Bolt, a Chevy Bolt around for a year because, um, you know, he was really interested in EVs and had, uh, you know, had exposure to them. He lives in the College Station area and then commutes to uh, Navasota to, to work at Mid-South Synergy. Um, he had friends that had EVs, and he had test-driven them, so he's really on, on board the EV train. But a lot of the, the members in his cooperative in that rural Texas area haven't seen an EV that much and don't know that much about EVs. So he committed to driving the Chevy Bolt around for a year just to um, you know, show the community or maybe dispel some of the concerns around range anxiety with EVs. So I think that's a very you know, unique approach to consumer education. It's not always about, you know, like online messaging and well, that's important, uh, but actually just kind of going out there and doing it 
you know, kind of being a leader in that space from that perspective was a really interesting way that some that this cooperative is taking an approach to educate their members on EVs. So that was one of my favorite stories. And I think generally what surprised me about these electric co-ops was how how for the EV they are. I just assumed small rural Texas towns are going to be, you know, very much oil and gas towns. Especially and, outside Houston. Yeah, especially outside the Houston area, which is where we were. Um, but, you know, they were all about, you know, driving EV adoption, getting consumer education um, material out there. So I, it was very encouraging from that perspective. Yeah, and the other uh, co-op that we stopped at, Guadalupe Valley Electric, they have a Chevy Bolt on their property. Um, they've named it Sparky, <laughs> Sparky the Bolt. And it's, uh, it's painted, it's branded uh, Guadalupe Valley um, branding, but it's got these very bright colors. Um, on the front, it has a sticker that says battery included. <laughs> so, you know, it's a car that you really notice if you're just driving around uh, the small town of Gonzales or some of their other service territories like New Braunfels. Um, just, you know, I think that was sort of an interesting approach too to just have a car that people notice out on the streets. We've heard a lot about this kind of like the importance of word of mouth phenomena when it comes to electric vehicles. So a lot of people who buy electric vehicles only bought one because like their friend had one and they got to see it then or somebody told them, somebody who had one told them about them and then they considered buying an EV. It really always comes back to whether or not, you know, you know people with an EV is really influential in your open-mindedness towards them. And so these co-ops are really embodying that. They figured, you know, if they're the ones who have them and start driving them and exposing them to people, then hopefully that'll start to catch on. Did you have any other big takeaways from the interviews you conducted in part two? Yeah, uh, so we talked, we stopped in Houston, we stopped at Centerpoint Energy and talked with David Owen, um, and he made a few interesting points, um, just going back to that education and word of mouth piece, you know, he uh, had done a lot of research himself, and he wanted to buy the BM, one of the BMW electric vehicles, and so he knew what he wanted to buy, but he ended up going all the way to Dallas instead of getting it in Houston, because he said that's where he found a dealer who actually knew more about the car than he did. So that's another sort of missing piece is that people who are selling the cars also don't have as much education around them as they should. Um, another thing David mentioned was that, you know, in the middle of Houston, oil and gas, uh, that a lot of people he knows who work for big oil and gas companies are all driving Teslas or IBM electric vehicles. and so. We thought that was pretty funny, like being in the middle of Houston, all these oil and gas guys driving around electric vehicles. Yeah, well, B BMW electric vehicles, not <laughs> I if IBM. Oh, has an, if IBM has an electric vehicle, let us know, IBM. Yeah, David, you know, he mentioned how a bunch of these, you know, ONG execs are driving around their electric cars, but then, you know, it's pointed out that that, that oil, uh, that you know, gas is still used to create the electricity that is 
going into charging the car. So the demand for uh, their commodity isn't necessarily decreasing. They're just consuming it in a different way. So it kind of changes the way that you look at EVs, especially from um, like a clean energy perspective. We don't have to pit like clean energy advocates against everyone else when it comes to EV adoption. Like if a bunch of ONG tycoons are driving around their Teslas, that's a good thing, right? I would say so. Now that you've talked to many energy leaders in Texas about EVs, where do you get the sense that Texas is in terms of EV adoptions compared to the rest of the country? Well, we haven't, you know, spent much time in driving EVs across the rest of the country yet, but um, it does seem that, you know, high levels of EV penetration within Texas is still pretty far out. Most of the time we saw other EVs driving, it was in, you know, in the cities, in Austin, in the city of Dallas, in the city of Houston, but we didn't see very many other EVs when we were driving between cities or stopping in some of these smaller towns. So I think, you know, it's still a good ways away, five to 10 years away, but we do know that these energy companies are working on accelerating that adoption, which is important. And then auto manufacturers are also increasing the numbers of the number of electric vehicles that are available. So, um, yeah, I think it's still definitely still a few years out for mass adoption, but it might happen faster than we originally anticipated. And we may have talked about this when we did, uh, you know, the podcast for the first part of our EV road trip. But we know that a lot of Texans drive pickup trucks and they want to drive pickup trucks. And until there is an electric pickup truck on the market, I don't think that adoption is going to be um, that high in Texas. But uh, projections are coming out that significantly more models will be available in the next two years that are larger vehicles, whether it's trucks or minivans, um, crossovers. And so that will play a a big role in um, raising one of the largest barriers to adoption, which is model availability. And I think especially in the Texas market, that'll be pretty significant. I sure do want a crossover that's electric. But uh, so I just found out I can't I can't get an electric vehicle because my landlady does not want to install a charger. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest barriers aside from cost and model availability is how do you get people who don't own a home that they can't put their own charger into? How do you get them to to adopt EVs? A lot of younger generations, I mean, a lot of millennials are renters don't own their own property but you know we're we're the one I think everybody you know needs to be buying EVs but right now is when a lot of young people make car buying decisions for the next 10 15 years and if you're not creating a situation where they can adopt earlier rather than later then that's unfortunate so that's definitely a big piece of the puzzle to be to be resolved I mean I would buy one if I could but I live in an apartment right now. I mean, there is a charging station, but I may move after next year. And if I would decide to rent, you know, a duplex because I have a dog and want a yard, 
I would have to risk, you know, not being able to charge my car again overnight. So, yeah, definitely an interesting point to bring up. I bought a car less than a year ago, Kia Nero Hybrid, and they just recently came out with their full electric vehicle. And I probably would have tried to somehow finagle that one if I had done this trip before I bought the car. The, the full electric vehicle is about $15,000 more at least than what I paid for mine. So it is, again, that price point it makes a big difference, but um, just the experience of driving the EV, I would probably tr have chosen to buy one instead of what I did buy. Yeah. Well, may maybe maybe someday the stars will align and we can all be rocking the electric vehicles. Just to take it back for a second, uh, while adoption in Texas may not be you know, at the point at that level of penetration that you know you'd like to see one thing is is it is it wrong for me to conclude that because you were able to do this across one of the i mean the second geographically largest state in the nation uh that it shows that texas at the very least has the infrastructure to support uh to support electric vehicles pretty much no matter where in the state you live. I guess, I mean, day to day, I don't know if these smaller towns have have that infrastructure yet, but if they're only, you know, if people are only staying within their small towns and not driving more than 200, 200 miles a day, then yes. Um, I do think it's definitely encouraging that you can easily drive across the entire state of Texas, uh, you know, and easily have a route where you can where you can easily charge along the way um, and like we said earlier you know here in central Texas um, definitely yeah a viable option one interesting thing that was brought up to us um, at some point during the road trip and I can't remember who but uh, a lot of Texas homes are two-car households and you don't need to, I think one of the biggest takeaways from the trip that I've realized is you can go one, you can just transition to one of those cars being an electric vehicle. And then if you feel like, you know, you're not going to get the range that you need on a certain day, then you can drive your ICE vehicle, but drive that electric vehicle, you know, four days out of the week when you can do that and you don't have to go as far. And then when you do need to go farther, then drive that ICE vehicle. A road trip has definitely proved that it is, you know, a viable option as a personal vehicle, you know, to cover, you know, 80 miles in a day. I don't think many people drive more than, you know, 70, 80 miles a day, even when you're commuting. Um, so that would be one of my takeaways is maybe just consider going uh, EV for one of your cars and you know keeping that ICE vehicle around to do other things that an EV wouldn't do. Um, and now I'm remembering that it was Carrie Kelton who was telling us this because he says that to his members, this co-op members, when they talk about the utility function they need for their truck. Well, you know, what if I need to pull a trailer today? Or what, I, what if I have to go out to the field and, yeah, like carry a bunch of lumber or materials or something? He says, you know, well, then drive your EV every, other, every day that you're not doing that and then use your truck when you do need to do that. 
so I think that's an interesting way to encourage people to adopt EVs, but maybe, you know, you don't have to go like all in the first time. Yeah, that makes sense. You probably can't, you probably can't take one up a mountain skiing, but, uh, although they, I found out the Model 3s, you can get versions with all-wheel drive. So that's something. I was just going to say that we did talk to someone, I believe it was uh, Lisa Lin at Rice University, who bought a used EV um, before, well, that's what she's driving now. So she wanted an EV, but it, it a lot of them do sort of price, you know, price people out. But she looked around for a used one, and right now there's not a huge used market, but I think as that secondary market grows, that'll enable a lot of access uh, to other people where who previously couldn't you know afford a new EV um, and it's been fine she hasn't had any problems with it you know it was a used car but it it's it was like buying any other used car it will be interesting yeah it will be interesting to see how the secondary market develops especially since um, you know you can buy a used you can buy a used Nissan Leaf or whatever and get a new battery for not that much and then you basically have a new car so that what how that affects the price point of actually selling a car especially once dealerships start getting involved be interesting to to see how that evolves now that you've wrapped up part two of ev errands texas uh, what's what's next for e squared uh so what's next for us is we will plan you know to go go to other places maybe try out different cars um, talk to utility and transportation executives and the general public in in other states. Um, that's what we're hoping for. We also, for our listeners who are in the Austin area, um, are continuing to host our EV happy hour um, because I think it's important to, can, to keep this conversation going. Again, going back to the importance of you know, kind of word of mouth when it comes to EV. You just have to start to tell everybody, you know, just try an EV, just try it. You know, find someone who has one, ask them to drive it. If you're considering buying a new car, like ask your dealership to test drive one, but continuing to just, you know, talk about EVs, I think is just as important as us, you know, driving them around and live tweeting about our experience. Um, but keeping the conversation going is definitely something we'll be focused on. That's very, that's very, that's very well said. And I'm sure we're going to continue to keep the conversation going on this, on this podcast, because we just really can't get enough about talking about EVs. So Aaron and Aaron, thank you both for coming on and recapping the second part of your road trip. And thanks for going on it. I, I know a lot of people enjoyed following your trips on social media. I know I did. And a lot of our podcast guests have, and a, and a lot of our podcast fans have been telling us that. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for being here to talk about that. Well, thank you to all the listeners who sent in questions or comments, and to everyone uh, who followed along. We got some really good suggestions of places to go and people to talk to, and it's just been fun uh, having this conversation across social media with people. Actually, yeah, that reminds me, before we close out, I did want to tell this story. So in the intro, I alluded to us going to these small towns, <laughs> one called Dodge and one called Cut and Shoot. So first, 
we have to take it we have to make a shout out to jeff hamill at google jeff uh jeff had been following us on uh, linkedin and interacting with us and after part one he suggests that we go to um the small town in texas called cut and shoot we went there and there are probably 600 people in this town maybe um, so that was just kind of a fun pit stop that we made just to, you know, experience small town Texas. And then we also saw, when we were looking at the map to see where Cut and Shoot was, we saw that there was a town called Dodge. So I looked at Aaron and I was like, we're definitely going there. And you can see our social media video that we so geniusly composed um, where I just pan over to Erin and she says, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. And that is really the only reason we went to that town was to film a video of us saying we're getting the hell out of Dodge. So thank you, Jeff Hamill at Google, uh, for giving us that suggestion. Uh, really, really gave us um, something else to look forward to, I suppose. But we really do appreciate the interaction from, uh, you know, from, from everybody on social and send us send us your stories send us your suggestions we like to hear other people's stories about you know road trips in their evs or really any any story uh, involving an ev i got an email in my inbox the other day about this woman's a father-in-law's car buying experience with an ev it wasn't it wasn't a positive one but you know it's nice to to talk about these things with with other people so we really have been enjoying just just the whole experience uh, so thank you for that, and thanks again for being on. If you want to check out how the road trip went, uh, you can just search for that for the hashtag EVAaronsTX uh, across various across various platforms, and you can find and you can find the rest of our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at DY Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at Aaron Otan, at Z Prime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.